Ridge Runner Nation, welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. On this episode, we dive into a ton of different topics with the overall winner and new women's course record holder of the Cloud Splitter 100, Mika Thews. She talks about her Bigfoot 200 win this year, as well as the differences between 100 milers and 200 milers, and which ones are better. Sit back, relax, this is a good one. back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Tonight we are so pumped to have on the overall winner of the 2021 Cloud Splitter 100 and the new women's course record holder at that race. She is also coming off a win at the Bigfoot 200 just a few months back, coming to us all the way from Colorado, originally from Michigan. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mika Thews, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're so excited to talk uh, all things Cloud Splitter, all things Bigfoot tonight. It's going to be an awesome show, and we're going to just dive right into it. For those of you who don't know, my name is Wesley Harton, and holding down the floor with me tonight is the lovely JD3, John Dolivaki III. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful this evening. Uh, just a reminder, everyone, as we get started, get those questions in the chat early. We'll make sure we get to them as we go out throughout the night. Um, let's get into our favorite part of the night. Um, Mika, what are you drinking tonight? I have a Rowdy Mermaid kombucha from Boulder, Colorado. It's my favorite uh, kombucha brand, so they're pretty good. Sounds pretty good over there. Wesley, what are you drinking? I've got the Mayfly. It's a rye pale ale from Big Spring Brewing in Montana. Montana. Courtesy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Montana, Montana, you know, Cam would be mad at me for pronouncing that. But uh, no, it's the one from Kyle Whittle. So shout out to you, K-Witt, for that one. Uh, John, what about you? I am drinking a local Hop and Frog. It's a blueberry turbo shandy citrus ale. It's pretty good. I got a lot of it, so it's going to be a fun night. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's just start things off, you know, how we normally start things off. Uh, you can find the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on Strava, join our Ridge Runners Club on Strava, filled with so many incredible runners from around Ridge Runner Nation. Uh, Mika, take us back to when you first heard about the Cloud Splitter 100. Coming off, you know, a Bigfoot 200 performance, there had to be a big reason to sign up for this 100, uh, or was it kind of planned beforehand? How did that all transpire, and how did you sign your, find your way to the starting line of this race? Um, well, actually, I heard about it years ago. I wanted to do it back in, like, 2015. So it's been on my list for a long time. But um, this year, after Bigfoot Tahoe got canceled because of the wildfires out west, so I've kind of been thinking about trying to find a different race to do. Um, And then two weeks before the race, my friend, uh, my Michigan running friend, Alex, mentioned he was running Cloud Splitter. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a good race. So, uh, yeah, I actually signed up the day before the race. So I wasn't on any uh, entrance list or anything, kind of snuck in there. But uh, yeah, it was kind of just good timing, all things considered. Signing up a day before the race is absolutely incredible. And, you know, it really ruins people that do prediction videos, you know, like we do. But luckily we didn't do one for this race where we would have totally got the whole thing wrong. But, uh, you know, as well as, you know, signing up for one day beforehand, like what was your mindset like in terms of like training going into it? Because you had to be kind of feeling somewhat good or was it just, hey, let's just see how this thing goes uh, on race day? Um, Yeah, no, it was totally uh, yeah, so I like took a solid like month off after Bigfoot. And then once my friend mentioned the race, 
I got like two weeks in of training. So I had like two 80 mile weeks. And then I just drove down there uh, and thought just to see how it went. I mean, I figured I could probably like maybe take first place women's if I ha- was having a good day, but certainly not what ended up happening. So that's, that's incredible. And obviously uh, looking at your ultra sign up and just talking about things, you know, you haven't done a hundred miler in, a, in quite some time now. You've been all about the 200s recently. Did it kind of knowing that it was only 100 miles? And, you know, I say that in air quotes because it seems ridiculous to say, did that help you going into it? Like, uh, it's just a one day event at this thing. Uh, yeah, I think so. Cause like, I mean, the longest it could take was 40 hours. So it was like, and then I had a flight back to Colorado the follow like on Monday. So then I couldn't finish any longer than like 30 hours because I had to drive eight hours back. So all things said, it was a little uh, haphazard, but it ended up working out pretty well. I got to get a hotel room in like Columbus and sleep for a night. (laughs) But So if you go into, like, what was your intention going into this race? Like, were you, were you really trying to get, like, a good place? Or were you more looking for, like, just a, a casual, you know, 100-mile jog, um, so to speak? Well, you know, I don't really do a lot of, like, timed running stuff. Like, I have a watch, but I, like, never wear it. So I usually just run by feel. So I just... You know, I like to like when I'm running for training, I just like to keep a good pace. And then for races, it's just like hard, but sustainable. So really, I just started the race. I felt okay, And I figured just keep like a solid, like sustainable pace that I could keep for, you know, pretty much the whole race um, and just not overdo it. And uh, that put me pretty far ahead just at the beginning. And I think it was a matter as the night went on just of not slowing down and just keeping like a solid pace going in. And so I didn't really even think about it until like halfway through the race, like what I was actually on pace for. So just run by feel. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's such a unique concept because like, you know, I feel like a lot of runners don't they struggle with it. I know me personally, just looking into the, you know, the box here, like I struggle to just run by feel sometimes like I just want to look at the watch and like hit a certain split on a certain run. And I, I just the watch kind of consumes me on some runs. You know, how what tips would you give to a runner who's trying to maybe run more by feel and kind of like how would you say that like has helped you throughout your running career? Um, I mean, I do listen to a lot of music when I run. So I run by feel, but also I have a pretty upbeat playlist. So I guess that keeps me kind of at a good clip. Um, But I mean, like usually when I Strava, I just Strava on my phone and then I just drop it in my bag and I can just look at it after. And so I'd say like, just try to like start it and then just like turn it off, like, you know, put it somewhere where you can't see it and then just look at it after. And then, you know, once you kind of get used to just, the feeling of different paces. I mean, there are some times when I know I'm faster than others and like just being able to review the data after I think is helpful as opposed to like being consumed by it during the run. 
Yeah, no, that's a great, great piece of training advice there. And uh, hopefully I can apply that uh, in the near future myself. Uh, kind of transitioning now to more of the race day itself at CloudSplitter this year. Um, what was the environment like when you when you got there? What was packet pickup like? Was it an exciting atmosphere? You know, the Expo Center on race day looked like it was a party. Uh, just walk us through the whole environment. Yeah, I kind of missed the meeting, but it like I really liked kind of the feel of the race. It had like kind of a very old school feel to it because like most races, you know, you can't sign up like race day anymore, you know, with restrictions and like entrance caps. It's all like, you know, months in ahead planning, which is fine. But like to be able to just kind of jump into a race and like everyone was super like laid back and low key and the race director, Susan Howell was like super nice and just like chatted for a little while. And uh, I mean, the expo center, I mean, for as packed as it could get, I mean, it was pretty kind of like just chill all around and, you know, you finish and there's like just a couple of race people in there kind of clapping and it's not any big thing. And, I kind of really enjoyed kind of the the feeling of it was yeah very laid back feeling which I really liked. Take very us through different the- from a lot of like big races or two hundreds or like Leadville, you know, total opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's it's look it looked from the outside looking in like a uh, an exciting atmosphere and uh, definitely one that uh, was different than most races. Take us through what the starting line was like and kind of the early miles of the race. Uh, and did you start indoors and then run outside? Yeah, the start was sort of indoors, so we were all kind of hanging out in there because it was raining in the morning. But the forecast was only for rain for like four hours. So it really wasn't too bad because like the rest of the day was clear. So even though it really only rained on us, yeah, by noon it was done. So that was like really nice. I was definitely worried about that. I might not have actually run it if it was <laughs> raining all weekend. <laughs> but um, yeah, kind of a misty, cool morning. And like the temperature was pretty much perfect all night. I couldn't have asked for any better weather. And uh the start was on like we ran on the road for like a little bit. So that kind of helped spread some people out because like the single track, once you got on, it was pretty technical and uh, technical and narrow. So it was good to have kind of a bit of a road start to there, that. What was the what was the weather like when you were there? So like you're used to obviously being out, out west a lot more now. So you don't have the humidity. Was, was there more humidity than you were expecting uh, or how would you manage was- that? Yeah, it was pretty humid. I mean, I was in Michigan for like a month before and, um, you know, I was out in Washington twice this year for runs. And so I'm actually pretty used to the humidity, all things considered, even though I live in Colorado, I seem to not have lost my adaptation for that, but coming down from altitude probably helps too. We kind of come down from altitude and gain the humidity. So it kind of cancels itself out, I think. But yeah, it was definitely humid. The world wants to know which one's harder, altitude or humidity. Solve the case right here. <laughs> I sure. mean, when I get over like 12,000 feet, I struggle. So, I mean, climbing 14ers is hard. And I don't know, like, like altitude to a certain extent maybe isn't too bad, like 6,000 feet. But once you get to like 10,000 feet, it's definitely harder. Like, I can't imagine running hard rock. Like, that must be killer. And I had a friend that ran Ure this year and I was out there and like, even just being at 11,000 feet for like two days was like 
brutal. <laughs> That's so awesome. Definitely the altitude. That's awesome. I appreciate that answer being in Utah myself. I know John in Ohio is probably shaking his head at that one, but hey, uh, <laughs> when, I, when we were on the Tetons and we were up at like ten thousand, like I was like, I was like, I'll take this any day of the week. <laughs> I'm not soaked. <laughs> yeah, this spring in the Midwest. I was back in the Midwest in for all of May, and like that was brutal. I mean, it was really. <laughs> But it's just like, I mean, you're just sticky and gross and you got bugs stuck on you. But, you know, after a shower, you're fine. Yeah, it, it doesn't last forever, thankfully. But uh, what does last forever is a overall win at the Cloud Splitter 100 in 2021. And kind of dive back into the middle part of your race now, uh, taking us through like miles, say like 20 through 30 or 20 through 40, the heart of the race, you know, and things kind of, it's the middle of the day. You said around knew the rain was going to let up. What did that look like in the middle of the afternoon when there's still a ton of miles left in this race, but uh, you just know you have to keep pushing? Yeah, you know, I don't usually run with pacers or anything, so I just like to find people to run with because I'm pretty chatty during races. So within the first, like, five miles, ten miles, well, yeah, by mile, like, five or six, I had um, started running with this guy, Show Gray, and um, just chatting along as we kind of put in the miles. And we ran together for at least 30 miles. I want to say probably not quite to mile 50, but probably like at least to mile 40. So just like, I don't know, chatting, finding people to chat with and just joke with usually makes everything go a lot quicker. So it's always nice when you can find people to kind of stick with. So stuck with him, just trying to get in and out of aid stations really fast, which is hard sometimes. <laughs> But just like having a plan going in, spending like less than a minute there and just heading out. Uh, and yeah, there was a super technical section kind of from mile leaving High Knob and over to the next aid station. And you hit that section four times because the race is kind of, it's like two out and backs on the same trail, not quite as far the second time. And then a double loop on a different section. So, yeah, getting over that and like checking it out early. And then the far part of the course had a bunch of water crossings. So trying to get through all those without slipping, because like even though it wasn't raining anymore, it was super, super slick. Every single rock was slick. And just at one point, you know, you're trying to rock hop to not get wet feet. But at one point, you know, slipping on the rocks is a lot more dangerous than actually just going straight through the water. And I had like one or two bad falls and slips on rocks. So I just started going straight through and uh, yeah. So yeah, just keeping conversational pace during those, those miles. And it wasn't, a, and the out and backs are nice. Cause you can see everyone who's passing you like, or where everyone is. So it was easy to gauge like about where you were in the field. So yeah. So one of the things you mentioned about like a stations, like in and out, like super fast, like, what does that look like for you going into an a station? Like, what is your, are you like very focused when you come into one, like knowing exactly what you want and you're downing stuff to get in and out? Like, cause I, I spent probably way too much time in Wesley can attest uh, at an aid station, multiple <laughs> of them, um, just making myself feel better, but you know, all in all, you probably should just keep moving through them. So I'm just kind of curious how you attack those. Yeah, I definitely spend the first few miles, like before you, like the first 
the last mile before I hit it, I like get everything organized in my head. And I have like usually a list of like three things I need to hit. And so it's like restock food, refill water and like either deal with your feet or whatever other little things you have. And since I don't usually have a crew, you know, you're just doing it yourself. And so you can really focus on it and like you don't have other people kind of distracting you. And so I just kind of like slid into my box, restocked, did whatever I needed to do and just took a shot of Mountain Dew and ran out of there. (laughs) And, you know, the people down south, like, they're all so nice, but it's definitely a different pace of life. They're all very like, oh, how are you doing? Like very slow. They don't really understand like urgency. (laughs) So it was definitely interesting to like be chatting with them and just trying to be like, no, I just need this. Sorry. I don't want to chat for a few minutes. Yeah. Like let's chat. Let's chat Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to chat with you later, (laughs) but right now I'm like trying to get out. I'm really sorry. But no, super nice people though. So kind of going off that, you know, like your 200 mile aid stations obviously have to be so much different than your 100 mile aid stations and your philosophy going into it. How does it change for a hundred miler and kind of like, how do you switch it in your mindset, like in your, like in your mind to like go quicker because a 200 miler, you have so much more time in theory. Yeah. I mean, uh, the process is really exactly the same. It's just a longer list of things to do. So it takes like twice as long. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I always have my list of things going into the aid station and, you know, I don't have crews for 200s either. So I just have my drop boxes and like the volunteers are so great at those. And like this year at Bigfoot, like at almost every aid station, I knew someone either like uh, captaining the aid station or just working there. And so everyone was like super great, but yeah, just like. I mean, I spend a lot longer, but I'm still like super focused and just getting in and out, even though, you know, as opposed to like two minutes, it's like 20 minutes or whatever. And then obviously sleep stations are a little different, but yeah, Um, same mentality, just longer time. So kind of keeping with the aid station trend a little bit, we're kind of halfway through your race at this point. What does your nutrition look like besides your Mountain Dew shots? Um, uh, what, are, what are you taking? What are you trying to feel yourself and how are you trying to keep moving? Yeah, I really hate gels and stuff, so I don't eat them. So, uh, I eat a lot. I, all this year I've been eating a lot of just like little packaged, like baked things. So I had like some like brownies and, uh, some like oat bars and some cliff bars, uh, PB and J's. I took a lot of those. And sometimes like the aid stations, they had some stuff, but like I'm vegan, so there's a lot of stuff I can't eat. So it was a lot of like bananas and PB and J's pretty much is all I ate during the race. Um, it worked. <laughs> yeah. And then the Mountain Dew, I guess, takes the place of the energy gels because I just I can't do goos or anything. They're just gross. <laughs> Fair enough on that. Uh, you know, so far throughout this race, you know, you're making it seem like this was the easiest 100 miler ever. And, you know, I bet a lot of people in the comments right now are looking at this and being like, this is not the case. I was out there, you know, I ran the race. One runner who was out there, Josh Keck, uh, sent this question and he said, were you ever frustrated during areas of the trail where running just wasn't possible due to the rocky and wet terrain? Uh, what areas were you just like, I just can't physically run through this right now? Yeah, there were a couple of sections. I mean, there was definitely um, 
on the second out and back section during the race, like there was a noticeable gap between the people who, because you did that one technical section I mentioned four times. So if you made it the third time through that in the daylight versus at nighttime, like there was a gap between people who managed that. So once, uh, you know, so after I came in back to high knob and was out on that section, my goal was really just to make it through as like cover as much ground as possible in the daylight because of how technical the course was. So I really was sort of pushing it during the daylight to just try and cover as much ground as I could. Um, and then, yeah, so that section at night was definitely a lot slower. Uh, at least I only had to do it once on like some of the people. And then the devil's bathtub section for sure. Like there were spots, um, you know, where it just really wasn't runnable. And then the uphill back to the the aid station from that, it was like all power hiking. There was like a long, long uphill coming out of that aid station. And I mean, that was all power hiking, but I'm used to doing a lot of power hiking anyway. So like a Bigfoot, I mean, with all the climbing it's because Bigfoot was basically just double cloud splitter because Bigfoot's about 50,000 feet of gain and cloud splitter was like 24. So very similar in terms of the uh, elevation profiles. So I mean, just knowing you're going to be power hiking and not running. I mean, it could frustrate some people, but I'm pretty used to it. And just switching between pretty quickly whenever there is a runnable section. But yeah, those were the worst sections for me. People were saying that that flat technical section wasn't that bad, but I really <laughs> did not like it. Uh, we've got some yeah. quick chat questions from people so far. So we've got uh, someone who's going by the name of WD. It says... Yay! Congrats on the clouds on the on the cloud splitter way to cruise through some of the dark technical sections. That course crushed many of us. Um, so obviously, they looks like they were part of the race. Um, Josh is in the chat this evening. We were unsure if he was going to make it tonight. He actually sent those questions in advance for us, and I uh, said, "Did you try moon pie?" I did not. Were they out there? I don't know. They're probably not vegan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then we have Paul. The DeFord asking uh, thoughts on uh, OCPs, which are a big trend on this channel, uh, oatmeal cream pies, thanks to Wesley. Uh, are those vegan or not? We don't know. Some are. Some are? Oh. Uh, I would eat one if it was vegan. I think the homemade ones are vegan. I don't think like the Little Debbie ones, no offense to but Little Debbie, we still love you as a sponsor, but I don't think they, those <laughs> ones are particularly vegan. <laughs> we'll have to find out for sure, because if they are, we'll send you a package of some OCPs. Yeah, I... Uh... Uh, when I was running this one race uh, where we got a lot of food from gas stations, I found this brand of like, like packaged pie that was so fake. It was actually vegan. And I ate, like I bought two of them and I ate one when I was running and it like, it was so just so heavy and like kind of gross, but like it was so calorie dense. So it was a great food, but sometimes you can find those like foods that are so processed they actually don't contain anything real in them. I just, so love I just the gotta look at the ingredients I love the description there so fake they were vegan <laughs> <laughs> like nothing's in them that you're supposed to cook and bake with um, Josh yeah. did come in the chat and said moon pies are not vegan he said they were a race sponsor they're miners food so oh. so unfortunately you oh. won't be able to get one of those but hopefully we can find ourselves a, a, a vegan oatmeal cream pie to send you so you can Get your take on OCPs because everybody loves the OCPs. OCPs. All right. 
kind of transitioning back into the race now, when was like the part where you kind of took the lead? And obviously, you know, you said you were running with people. Was there a point where it was like the four of you were tied for first or were you kind of catching up to the leader? How did that all play out for you on race day? Um, so after I lost show, I was kind of running solo for a while and I could kind of see where I was in the field. And by the second out and back, I realized that the second place female, the woman who was running second place was like over nine miles behind me. So I wasn't really worried about that anymore. Um, but I started like passing a couple guys. There was one guy who was, had been running pretty, uh, like second place running with the first place guy who was sort of slowed down he his shoes weren't super grippy so he was kind of struggling on some of the terrain but um I kind of caught up and passed him and I think that's when I got into second place and uh I came into the aid station uh going into the devil's bathtub loop and actually Steve who had been first place was there and I was not expecting him to be there (laughs) So that's when I caught him. And then we left the aid station together and actually ran the first loop together just for company. But he picked up his pacer at that second aid state at the aid station on the loop. And so, yeah, I had been running with him for, I mean, that was probably about seven or eight miles. And then I just left the aid station before them. And then there was that long power hike up and I just did my best to stay in front of them. And then, uh, yeah, I didn't see them again. So at that point, it was just looking over my shoulder, <laughs> seeing if any lights were back there. And then uh, there was like a road section connecting back to High Knob before you ran into the finish. And I just kind of put my nose down and grinded that out. And then as I was coming into the last day station, I was kind of freaking out. Uh, I came in sort of swearing, <laughs> swearing a lot. And I'm sure the aid station people thought I was like crazy, but the other runners knew it was actually like when I left the aid station to do that road section, it was kind of amazing. It was the first time anyone, like the whole tent was cheering for me when I left. It was really interesting. I've never had an aid station cheer for me when I left before, <laughs> but they knew I was in first place and the runners at the aid sta- at high knob knew I was in first place too. So they kind of understood, but the aid station people were just looking at me like, crazy. I'm like, no, the finish, where's the finish? Which way do I go? Cause there's like three different trails that split off from high knob from that aid station. So like people are going every direction. That's awesome. And the first thing that I noticed from that, uh, recap there is that we need to get you at more races where the aid stations cheer for you. I feel like that's, <laughs> we need to have that more, uh, more in the sport, but, uh, kind of going off that, uh, you know, how long were you, what you said you were with the top runner from seven for seven to eight miles or so, uh, what mile marker did that start at? And what were those conversations like, uh, during those seven to eight miles? Was it like, Hey, like sprint finish, I'll catch you here. Like, we'll see, see you sooner. Like, was there any funny banter like that in those moments or just kind of playful chats no it was more just chatting I mean gosh what was that it must have been from my like 70 something to 80 something ish yeah because I think we hit that 80 yeah well actually I don't somewhere in there um because the last 10 yeah the last like 12 I was probably in the lead 
So yeah, probably to like mile 88 or something. But uh, no, it was just chatting. I mean, I did tell him at one point, like it was only when I caught up to him that I kind of knew what time it was and I knew what my pace was. And I was like, you know, like I'd love to, you know, chat and stuff, but if you need to take off, like I'm not going to chase you because I'm trying to go for the course record. So I think I still got it. So if you need to take off, you can go. <laughs> I did say that at one point. Um, but no, it was just uh, chatting about running and races and stuff. It's funny. It was like surprising the number of people that were like, you know, like, oh, I like, I like fast races. I'm just not a mountain person. And I'm like, you're not a mountain person. And you're <laughs> like, I don't do any training in the mountains. Like I don't run mountains. I'm like, <laughs> This is kind of a mountain race, guys. <laughs> like three different people told me that. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not a mountain runner. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Absolutely wild. We raced a 25,000 feet of vertical yeah. gain. Uh, it's knocking out corridor. Uh, that's, yeah, that's and it's sure. a lot of fast guys who are running it, like who have like for flat hundreds can like really just absolutely kill it. And uh, just, I guess, didn't train for the mountains or something. It was, yeah, kind of strange. Uh, Josh has a comment here again. He said those A station volunteers at Devil Fork Gate kept talking about you. Uh, you know, first place as a woman, they kept saying to like all the runners as they came back through. So they were uh, okay. hyped for you the the entire time, I would assume, after you left that aid station. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really awesome. No, those, and that aid station that was on the loop too, like they were like super decked out like they had like disco balls going they had like fires they had all the decorations they had these crazy lights it was definitely like the most decorated a station i've seen it was a lot of they were having a lot of fun down there it was a good time i wish i could have spent more time with them (laughs) sounds like we need to host our own a station wesley ridge runner style we should big old party disco balls yeah this sounds like a plan (laughs) At like Shawnee or something. Yeah. There, there we go. There Perfect. we go. <laughs> On lock the dark it side. In. <laughs> we'll be at Twin Creek One next year for all the runners. You can lock it in. <laughs> you can lock it in, Michael Owen. But uh, kind of going back to things, obviously a 100-mile race, signed up one day beforehand. A lot of memorable things happened out on the course for you. But what was your most memorable moment from this race? Man, um, for sure – like it was definitely memorable leaving that last day station, realizing I could probably take the win overall because gosh, I only, yeah, I've never really won a race overall. So that was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, it was mostly just chatting with the people that I ran into. That was a lot of fun. I always enjoy those moments and, you know, there are some like running solo is fine, but, and for sure. Like sometimes you get like the perfect song that comes on when you're running that really hypes you up, but uh, it's really the moments that you spend with, I think the other, other runners that are the most memorable. I agree with that. That is definitely some of the best memories of, of races. Um, WD. I love the, making new friends. <laughs> yeah. It's always a great part about the community. The ultra running community is just like incredible, like all around, like it's just one of the best places to be. Um, WD in the chat says you were hauling ass back up t- to high knob. It was an honor to have been blinded by your extremely bright, bright light on your way to victory. <laughs> uh, I tried to like dim it or turn it down when people were passing, but I have a Kagala light and those things are just so bright that they really blind anyone who it. <laughs> it's just like a big old dome light. 
It's crazy how it's bright those a, are. The bar, yeah, yeah. So, oh, so great. It's just like, but like on technical terrain, I mean, I certainly couldn't have run as fast as I did if I didn't have one. Like you can move so much faster when you can just flood the whole trail with light. It's crazy. Um, so when you came in toward the end, like your last few miles, like what were you thinking that those last few miles when you definitely were like more like, you don't want to say you have it in the bag, but you're like, I got this. Um, what was that was two mile kind of my, like, and then as you came across the finish line and, and talked to the, the, got your medal and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think at that point, you know, you're kind of hurting and then you're also just super focused. So I think I was pretty much just focused on getting in as quick as possible. And I wasn't really thinking about that much. I mean, I definitely was like calculating the time in my head and I think I thought I got it. So I was, I was pretty excited. Um, and then when I did come across the line, uh, I kind of saw it and it was really just like three of the race people standing around inside. Cause it was, gosh, I don't know, like five something in the morning. So like not anyone was hanging out at that point. Uh, so very low key finish. They all clap for me <laughs> and they were all very happy, but it was very, like I said, low key, which was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I just kind of plopped down in a chair and then I didn't get up for like an hour <laughs> and they like tried to get me to stand up for photos and stuff, but then I just didn't stand up. <laughs> you know, your feet are sore and I really didn't want to have to walk anymore. So I just sat in that chair and it was so cold outside. Like, you know, when you finish a race, like your body temperature drops and like, it was dark out still. And so, yeah, I wasn't leaving, uh, the uh, expo center for anything. Oh, you're but, just yeah, like, I'm I, sitting. I'm not, you can take yeah. a picture now. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how I usually feel at races at Bigfoot. Actually I finished and I, I was like a chair, like, where is there a chair? And they were like, no, no, no chairs. Like you got to go do this and you got to go do that. I was like, but I just want to sit down. <laughs> it seems cruel. Yeah, any race that requires you to do media responsibility after you finish is that's ridiculous. And the two hundred. <laughs> well, the two hundreds they always make you take the after photo. So like before they let you do anything, they like pull you to take a photo. And so you're just like, I want to sit down, but they're like, No, no, photo, photo. And you gotta pick your medal and then you can go sit down. But it took a while. It's uh I really just like to sit down right away when I'm done. <laughs> I think a lot of runners resonate with that. Uh, you kind of mentioned two hundreds for, for a while now, and obviously it's been your kind of your big focus the past couple of years. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people in that are listening to this and watching this that are interested in two hundreds, but don't really know where to start or how to even do it outside of, you know, pushing register on ultra sign up. Uh, you know, how do you get into that mindset of, Hey, I want to go attempt a 200 miler next year and, how, like where where do you start in that process? So like I did my first 200 back in 2015 when I was like 24 and stupid, but uh, like none of us knew what we were doing back then. Like everyone was like a total disaster. Uh, so really it's just a matter of uh, like, like they're long, but they're doable. So just like not being intimidated by it, I guess, like, I was like not intimidated by my first 200, you know, and then you just kind of get used to them over time, I guess. But um, 
I mean, I guess it's different for some people. I mean, obviously I'm not like a super type A person who has like their spreadsheets and stuff like some of the people are. Um, but the fact is like during a 200, like things are going to go completely off the rails, like multiple times. So even if you have like your spreadsheet, like you have to be adaptable and able to just roll with it. So, I mean, there's a lot on the Facebook groups, I guess. Um, there's been a lot of race reports, but just, uh, I mean, the training's not any different from a 100. So just going with it in the mindset that you're going to finish it no matter what is I think the most important thing. Cause like that first year I was a total mess, but it was just like, well, I have to finish. So you just keep pushing no matter how much pain you're in. And, uh, if you can do that, you can finish pretty much anything. <laughs> That's, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. just to think that like the, the training, this, the part that you said, like the training's the same as a 100. I think that's super unique because I think a lot of people, you know, think they have to do like 120 miles or, you know, something ridiculous weekly for, for training. What does it look like specifically for you when it comes to training? Like, are you doing like double long runs on the weekend when you're prepping for these 200s or what's different for you going into a 200 training wise, if anything? Um, yeah, um, no real difference. I mean, I make my own training plans. I usually don't run more than like 80 miles a week and I only run five days a week. I usually top out at like 80 or 90. And then, um, you know, it's really just training for the, the, uh, terrain really. So like if you're running one that has a ton of climbing, then you just actually have to climb a bunch during training. I think that that still holds very true for a 200 or if you're running like a road one, then you should probably do most of your training on the roads. Uh, so really it's just more terrain based, I would say than anything difference for like mileage. I mean, I just do usually back to back long runs on the weekends, like anyone would do for a hundred. A couple of quick questions on 200 then 100 or 200. If you had to pick 200, 200 is the, is 200, the new 100. I see that hashtag everywhere. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and should you do a 200 miler? Yes, of course. Everyone <laughs> should. I don't know. I'm going to get talking to 200 for no reason. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, some people have issues with, it's just, 200 is just about managing everything. If you can manage yourself really well, then you'll do great. Because you just got to manage your feet, you got to manage your sleep, and you got to manage your food. And one thing that I learned um that seems to hold very true that is maybe understated in a lot of uh, ultra stuff is like, if you're ever tired, you just need to eat. Like when you're tired, it means you're low on calories and you should just eat more food. And I noticed that during cloud splitter, there was one section that I didn't, I thought I had more food with me. The section was a little longer and I thought I had more stuff in my drop bag than I did. So I was low on calories that section. And the next section, I got really tired. And then once I caught back up to my calories, I was fine and I wasn't tired anymore. So I think people underestimate that like exhaustion is really just low on calories. How does, <laughs> you just um, got to shove more in your face. Yeah, eat all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. How how do you do sleep on a 200 mile? Because like people, most people do sleep or some sort of nap on a 200, like, right? Or no? Yeah. Yeah, the one two hundred. I slept for fifteen minutes uh, at mile one ninety five. 
<laughs> and then at Bigfoot this year, I got about 50 minutes. I got one nap that was about 40 minutes and then a 10 minute nap. And that was pretty good. So, yeah. yeah. How is it coming I mean, you out don't of an need app? more than an hour. Uh, it's great. You usually feel great. Huh. So like you should never sleep unless you're like, so I always just sleep in the camp chairs now with like a blanket around me. So I just curl up in one of those green camp chairs uh, and I pass out. And if you're not tired enough to pass out in a camp chair, then you shouldn't be sleeping. Use that as advice then, I guess. <laughs> you should just eat more food. And keep walking. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take yeah. that advice to heart, which is my normal sleep schedule. You know, if I'm not tired tonight, I'm just going to be not, not sleeping. <laughs> I can't fall asleep in a camp chair. So I'm just going to use that everywhere I go uh, from now on. Uh, kind of going off that, there's so many things with a 200 that we're just so fascinated by because this is so, so different. It's just such a unique distance that I think it's like you, like you said, it is a new 100. But, you know, a lot of people have done a backyard ultra before, including yourself. How do those two compare in, in terms of like nutrition, staying on top of things and managing those low moments? Well, I did one backyard ultra and it didn't go so great. Um, I think those are way harder. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, I did not, well, I didn't really know what I was doing going into that either, but yeah, it's like, cause you can't sleep, right? Like that's part of the thing about it is like during a 200, if you need like to take a half hour nap, you can, but during a backyard ultra, you can't. So, I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I don't really have much experience at all at the backyard races, so I don't know what I can say about those, but they seem much harder to me than the 200s do. <laughs> Would you return to one in the future? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, it's just like running the same loop over and over, so like it's monotonous, you know, at least with like a lot of the big 200s, you know, they're point to point or one giant loop, so it's like really just like, an adventure to get from one point like back to another point so it's like it feels like you're actually doing something right because you're like covering ground and you're like you can see like your dot around the race course right but like for a backyard you're just running the same loop. <laughs> it was amazing what they did at bigs this year i was yeah, really shocked and incredible impressed. it was amazing yeah and harvey was like smiling when he finished he's like what an experience i'm like <laughs> How do you not just I mean, fall over as soon as you realize you won? <laughs> 350 miles isn't too bad if you're running point to point, but to do that in like a backyard style, it's just, I mean, mentally, that must be so challenging. Yeah. And like Laz always said, like you can't have a bad loop. Like so many people get cut because of a bad loop where they could have come back and won in like a 200 or something like that if they had just rest a little bit. So, yes that's the thing for the 200s is you have so much time there's really no reason to drop out like if you're feeling really bad take like an hour two hours three hours in an aid station and you can probably recover if you like got really low on like calories or sleep or whatever you know you could even spend like six hours in an aid station if you need to you know but it's just not possible at those backyard ones well once you dnf you can you can spend six hours there if you want to <laughs> Yeah, then it's really depressing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, gosh, I I didn't even I barely made it over a hundred miles when I did one. So 
think it was like 116 or something. Yeah, still in the top five for the inaugural Ohio's Backyard Ultra that year. But, you know, I think if you came back, you know, maybe in March, I think you could uh, throw down with those the big names that are coming uh, to that oh, race man. this year. I go back to Shawnee before I went back to uh, Ohio's Backyard. <laughs> Especially now that it's in October instead of November. The weather seems much nicer. The, the photos and, yeah, everything looks much pleasanter. We talked about that, I think, on the last Ridge Runners Live with Jamie Hanks yeah. and Jamie Fenstrel, the two runners that were at, that crushed that race this year. And they had mixed reviews on the November versus October starting time. But I oh, definitely really? prefer the uh, October one myself. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Just the snow at the beginning of that first year was just... <laughs> not fun <laughs> just came out of nowhere i was like wait a minute it's snowing why is it snowing he's like it started snowing i think what five minutes before he decided like before the race started and it was like yeah. what <laughs> i think yeah. it was probably At the first snow of the year. that long yeah. yeah but yeah it was a little shocking that year <laughs> like oh so kind of a, like, take a look a look to the future. You know, you've done so many 200s and you've absolutely crushed them and you've done some 100s. What does the next five years look like for you in ultra running? Hmm, next five years. Well, next year, I'm, you know, Tahoe got moved. It's going to be in June now. So I'll be running Tahoe in June for sure. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's kind of like, obviously 200s are kind of new. So it's kind of sad. There's just like not enough of them. I'd like to run more of them, but you know, there's just not a lot of races out there to do. So any other 200s I haven't done, I guess that aren't looped because I don't want to run a loop 200. That sounds brutal. But uh, yeah, any, I don't know. There's some races and I really haven't raced much at all internationally. So I kind of am looking to that. It was nice to get those UTMB points from a cloud splitter. So try to get some more international runs out there. I was signed up for Mount Fuji in April of 2020. So that was obviously canceled. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I haven't raced much in Colorado either. So I got to start doing some of the Colorado races too. I think I want to do Run Rabbit next year, maybe. Yeah, so stop picking on those happen. East Coast runners. Yeah, well, there's all the pro runners that live out here, so definitely super competitive scene out in Colorado. So we'll see what go happens with that. But uh, I know, I mean, I love the East Coast and the Midwest. There's still a bunch of races I got to do on my list that are East Coast and Midwest races. Which ones are they? Uh, there's definitely a handful, like Burning River I want to do because it's like – you know, one of the kind of original Midwest races, Marquette 50, I hear is really great. That's a Michigan race. Um, probably do Grindstone at some point. That one's supposed to be really hard. <laughs> so, yeah, just some of the uh, the big ones out there, I guess. Anything that, I don't know, it's like for sure, like I don't want to do a lot of like, easy hundreds, I guess, because I'm used to the 200. So I guess I think the training and mentality translates better to like the really hard 100. So I'll probably go for those over like the flat ones. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to do some international races in the next five years. Yeah, I'd love to get to UTMB at some point in my life. It's like the, it's like the bucket list 
out of the States race. Yeah. Just seems gorgeous. Ultra Trail Mount Fuji. That one I really want to do. And then, well, I want to actually do it this year time, but, and, uh, what is it? Tour de Gens. Or I think that's the 200 out in Europe. It's supposed to be really hard. I know a couple of people that have done it. They say it's pretty gnarly and miserable. So it's probably my kind of race. <laughs> Love it. A um, couple more comments in the chat right now. We said, uh, I think Labe, is it how you say that? Congrats on your win. I totally agree with you on training for the terrain. Josh Keck says, don't answer if not comfortable, but... How much money? How much money does one need for a two hundred mile or like ticket, travel gear, ballpark estimate? It's a little more expensive than a hundred miler. Yeah, they're super expensive because the races alone cost like fifteen hundred dollars. Um, but there are volunteer opportunities to get uh, discounted or free tickets, and um, I've been volunteering at the races for a while, so I'm usually out at. Like I never like I never run Moab, so I usually volunteer at Moab. <laughs> so there are ways to kind of if you have time instead of money, there are ways to figure it out and get, you know, some discounted entries. And then, you know, for me, I don't, you know, have crew and pacers and I don't usually get hotels. So I'm just, you know, drive out there in my car, sleep in my car, have my gear packed, kind of do it as low cost as possible. So in that way, it's mostly gas money I'm spending. But uh, no, it can definitely get, you know, if you have a big crew and you're paying for pacers to like fly out and you're paying for the race entry and all this other and hotels and stuff, it definitely adds up and rental cars. Um, so it's definitely a bigger hurdle to get entry into um, than some of the hundreds. But there are ways to make it work if, if you want to. Um, find ways talking about crew a little bit because yeah, you don't use crew like you were saying how do you manage all the bags and drops and what you think you're going to need or how does this work like yeah i'm assuming you have drops in 200s like you would in 100 but mm-hmm. um like what, what kind of stuff are you putting in there and like how many drops are you having for those things yeah usually there's like about 13 access points i'd want to say ish um and some of them are doubles And so for me, it's a lot of food, clothes, you know, sometimes I'm like very uh, non-tech-y. So I write out a list like on paper (laughs) with like thoughts of like with my estimations of where I'm going to be when, which are sometimes wildly wrong. And so you get to a drop bag, you know, in the middle of the day and you packed it for nighttime. So you have like long sleeves and jackets in there and you need a tank top. <laughs> so that always happens, but you know, uh, you can make it work, but yeah. Uh, clothes, food. Um, gosh, there's a lot of stuff that goes in there. I usually pick up my trekking poles at some point and drop them off at another point. I don't like having them for the whole race. Um, and, uh, yeah, just like, yeah, clean socks is the biggest thing. I change my socks every aid station at a 200, which takes time, but pays off in the end. And then I check my tape, retape. So my bags are always very full and very packed. And then I have like batteries and lights and stuff in different bags. So I have been using the same like giant Tupperware bins since. 
<laughs> it works pretty well. Nice. Um, I think uh, before we get into our quick questions for the evening, uh, if you have any more chat questions, make sure you get those in the chat, and we'll get those at the very end. Um, if you like what we're doing, uh, go ahead and um, give us a like and subscribe. Everyone who's in the chat tonight, uh, we appreciate you being here. So uh, great stuff there. So we're going to jump into our quick questions for the night. Uh, and the first one here is, what's one thing you can't leave an aid station without? Ooh, can't leave without. Uh, definitely my music. I'm like terrified of not having anyone to talk to and being by myself with nothing to listen to. So I always have music and batteries on me. Yeah. Kind of going off that, uh, if Ultra Running had walk-up songs like baseball, what would yours be? Oh, my. So at a couple of races, I've had, like, a really amazing moment with um, Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. So, uh, like, I've had a few moments where, like, I'm just feeling amazing or, like, man, one year I was at Tahoe and, like, you can see the lights of Reno on one side and the lights of uh, Incline Village on the other and you're in, like, this giant meadow and it's super windy and cold and that song was playing and it was just really perfect. So I guess that song. Cam's going to enjoy putting that one on our Spotify playlist. And I hope that you add our Spotify playlist to your uh, music download list. So next time you're out on a 200, you can listen to some Bridge Runners music playlist of all the guests. And it's the strangest combination of music you will probably have ever experienced. Uh, <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet mine doesn't make it any less strange. <laughs> no, it's, it is perfect, too, because we don't, I don't think we have any Sinatra on there yet, too. So, I don't think so. Yeah, it, it, all genres are on there. It's great. And uh, we even had one guest on it. We put a whole album on. So he's just like, I can't pick one. It's the whole album. So we got a whole album on there. That's, I forget wow. which, one, which one was that. Do you remember? I know Tanner Lee dropped a ton of songs on there, but I think someone picked a specific album. I forget who that was. Hmm. So there's, it's a great set of music. We'll send it to you and you can, you can check it out afterwards. Um, what is your weirdest hallucination mid-race? Or if you've not hallucinated, strangest thing you've seen somebody eat at an aid station? Well, there's definitely a lot of hallucinations that go on during long races. Um, one thing that is kind of strange is like auditory hallucinations. Those are a little weirder than visual hallucinations sometimes. So like uh, I'd been listening to music in one ear for a while and then um, at one race and I actually my friend who was supposed to pace someone else, their runner dropped. So they ended up pacing me super last minute. And so I had the music out, but for like a couple of hours afterward, I could still hear music playing in my ear at like a very low volume. And so it was kind of just in the background and it just didn't go away for like six hours. So that was pretty strange. Hey, and I even checked and I was like, is this on? And it was like, no, everything's off. But just, yeah, it just kept playing there. Sounds like you got some free batteries on that one. Just some free music. Um, <laughs> that was awful. What, uh, what ball sport do you think you could beat most ultra runners in? Uh, none. I have zero coordination. <laughs> That's why I fall so much. <laughs> I think I would lose to anyone. <laughs> I'm trying to think of that. any sport you could fall like in bowling. Like maybe you could fall, fall ping pong. Ping pong. No, no hand-eye coordination for me. I just uh, fail miserably. That's why I run because it, you know, kind of straight line. Make it as easy as possible. <laughs> 
Wesley, you want to get that chicken question here? Oh, yeah. Here's the big one. If you, Which one would you rather do? Would you rather fight one chicken on day one, two chickens on day two, three chickens on day three, and so on and so forth for 365 days a year or have an entire year, 365 days, to train and fight a mountain lion? If you fight the mountain lion, you get a sword and armor. I mean, I would definitely fight the mountain lion. And, uh, you know, if I was ever faced with a mountain lion, it was – like, it's probably because I've invaded its territory, right? And if it's really hungry, you know, it can probably just eat me. I'd be fine with that. So, you know, I don't really want to kill a mountain lion. So yeah. I'd probably just let it eat me. <laughs> Survive for a little longer. It probably, it probably needs some food, you know? Can't, like, be too hard on those mountain lions. The most humble answer I've ever heard on the show. It's the first time anyone's ever looked out for the mountain lion. <laughs> And then, like, I'll let it kill me. It's probably hungry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, well, I don't know. I certainly it, it, don't want to kill a bunch of chickens. Like, even <laughs> more chickens? What did they ever do? Well, they're attacking you, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't even eat chicken. I don't want to kill. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Have you ever encountered a mountain lion? I feel like if anyone has, you know, with all of you running the 200s or whatnot, is that something you, you've bumped into? Multiple people have seen them. I've never actually seen, and people right in front of me have seen them. And I'm like, I've never seen a mountain lion. Oh, so they're there. Uh, you just haven't seen them. Exactly. You know, it like blissful ignorance, right? Like they're probably like, they're not going to pounce out at you. I've, I hiked with some people. We hiked in a group for a while. Cause one guy got freaked out cause it was chirping at him, which I guess is what mountain lions do. But, uh, yeah, I've never actually, and one guy at Cocodona, there was one guy we came up on and he was just crouched on the ground staring at something. And we're like, what's going on? He's like, I see eyes. They're right there. I sent a picture to the race people so they know there's a mountain lion on course. And I'm like, and we were just like, of course there's mountain lions. Why are you just sitting here? Just keep moving. <laughs> Don't stare at it. But, uh, yeah. So I haven't, I've seen some bears, but no mountain lion. I have to keep it that way. Probably good that way. Uh, Cam says the whole album was Tanner Lee and it was Smokey and the Bandit soundtrack. So that was the whole album he stuck on there. Um, let's see here. Last, last quick question that we have. Uh, if you could run with one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't a runner, assuming they would keep your pace, who would it be and where? Uh, for sure. My mom, I mean, she is a runner actually paced her 50 miles of her first hundred the weekend before cloud splitter. So she finished Indiana trail awesome. finished with 22 minutes. So they cut off <laughs> so it was a little close, but, uh, we run a lot together, uh, trail running and road running. So awesome. it's been a big, uh, I mean, she's what got me into running and so uh, my favorite person to run with for sure. I love that answer. Um, do you have any sponsors or social media that you would like to plug this evening? I am not sponsored, but, uh, and also I'm not big on social media. I just have a Strava and an Instagram. I update very, uh, infrequently, but, uh, I guess my Instagram handle is sugar crash vegan. If anybody really wanted to find me, <laughs> but it's not that exciting. <laughs> 
we'll, as always, we'll put those links uh, down below. So if you want to go follow her. And then if there's any people watching that have the ability to sponsor, she look needs some sponsors over here. Well-deserved. Uh, Well-deserved, yes. Um, before we close out tonight, we've got two more shows this week, which I think is an, a first for Ridge Runner Nation, is it not? Wesley? Yeah, we've never had three live shows in a week. This is new territory for us. So what have we got tomorrow going on? Tomorrow we've got Samuel Hartman with the Alley Trail Marathons. It's an inaugural race taking place in about a month. Uh, and it's going to be an awesome one. It's going to be 6,000 feet for the marathon distance of gain and then 3,000 feet for the half marathon. So this race in southern Ohio is going to be a good one that uh, people are going to want to keep on their radar. What do we got going on Wednesday night? Wednesday, we've got some incredible runners come, who were at your race, John, who finished the 100 alongside you at Canal Corridor. Uh, Melissa and Carol are going to have some incredible stories to share with us, and we're excited to kind of hear from them as well. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear from Melissa. She took 37 hours to finish, I believe, um, and she got it done. And I remember seeing her, you know, when we were walking back or running back, and I was, she's like, I'm past cut off, but I am finishing. So it's going to be great to hear from her and just hear that kind of mentality as she finished out and whatnot. Um, other than that, that's pretty much everything we got for this evening. Thanks everyone for being in the chat. Mika, thanks so much for being on with us tonight. It was a pleasure to talk to you and congrats on all of your wins this year. And I hope you the best of luck next year in your 200s and your hopeful, uh, eventual UTMB and Mount Fuji and stuff like that in the future. Thanks. It was great chatting with you guys too. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, version of our nation.